Welcome to the Physician Associate Podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Physician Associate Podcast. My name is James and today I'm delighted to be joined by a fellow Physician Associate who is returning to the podcast for her second appearance. Welcome back to the show, Ria Argor. Very much, James. Thanks for joining me again. Do you want to just set the scene and, and remind the listeners who you are as a PA and what you're all about? Sure. Um, I've worked in primary care since 2013. Um, during that time, so I did a couple of years, doing five days a week, realised that that was getting a little bit unsustainable and wanted to branch out a bit. So I spent a bit of time doing academic work alongside my clinical post. And then I recently left Sheffield Hallam University last September to then take on a post within our local ICS um, so for us in South Yorkshire, that's the Faculty for Advanced Clinical Practice, who, despite their name, also look after post-qualified PAs. So now I do two days a week of that and then a couple of days in GP. And I know one of the areas of interest for you and, and a topic that's quite important, I think, to many PAs will be looking after physician associates who are having difficulty at work and, you know, whatever form that takes, whether that's burnout, whether that's... Um, problems with home life affecting work life all these things that can happen to us as as adults um, and life happens around work for us and looking to support people when they're going through difficulty at work what got you into that area of research and area of interest yeah I think it kind of sort of followed on from supervision work that I did so when I was surprised so to my leadership post I've always been the mentor for the Sheffield preceptorship scheme so the scheme lead and I did a little bit of work evaluating the scheme and as part of what we offer on the scheme it includes one-to-one mentorship with each of the PAs that are involved on the scheme and um, so I've always been quite external because I don't work with any of these PAs in each of their practices. So hopefully it's a bit of an objective view for them. Prior to COVID, that meant that I was going in and sitting in with them, not so much to judge them because obviously everyone's passed their exams, but very much just to kind of take in the environment, see how they work, see what the supervision arrangement's like. There was a minority of people who felt unsupported, and we then touched on that in the supervision work that we released. It's available on the GMC website. But kind of within those mentorship conversations, there were some people who they were thriving clinically, but just not feeling perhaps very supported. And it's not necessarily that supervision was an issue, but there were other issues that were kind of generated. And that may have been, as you say, kind of difficulties with personal life. But there may also have been difficulties in the workplace that were just around. Um, and it's just really kind of getting a handle on, you know, what can we do about this? We know that in more established professions, such as doctors, they've got a route in which an educational supervisor checks in with them um, in addition to a clinical supervisor. But obviously with PAs, when you've only got your clinical supervisor and it's a new role in itself, it's quite difficult to know what you should be doing um, and I suppose for GPs thinking about primary care to actually understand how a PA should be functioning perhaps in primary care and equally in secondary care if you've never employed one before. It's not unusual for PAs to experience difficulty, partly because people are still understanding the profession, but partly because as humans, we might have difficulties in our lives that impact on our clinical performance. So I suppose I was just really keen to try and explore that a bit further 
that led me to having some conversations with the faculty of physician associates who said that they don't directly get involved um, unless it becomes a fitness to practice issue. But having worked with PAs in my own practice who have experienced difficulty, it kind of gets you thinking, it's quite a big thing to raise someone as a fitness to practice issue. There needs to be some kind of process perhaps before that. And we know that in different regions, as ambassadors like ourselves and Leeds, um, but there's no real infrastructure for kind of an educational supervisor for every PA or kind of thinking about how to even, you know, what are the signs of difficulty and how can we move forward with this? So I then actually did it as my dissertation topic. I recently topped up my PG dip to an FSC, which was joyous. And I take my hat off to all of the PAs who do this as part of their route now to becoming a PA because it's very hard work. Um, but I actually then looked at what the process is in doctors with a view to then extracting what's applicable to the PA profession. And that's where I am today. So I've kind of built a little model around how that would work um, and really just hoping to share that with supervisors and, and PA leads themselves, really, and PA ambassadors, because I think they're the people that at the moment are going to be contacted around PAs who may be experiencing difficulty in the workplace. Do you mind talking us through how you did that sort of dissertation project in terms of your methodology and then your results and what you found? Yeah, um, so with the dissertation, I essentially looked at, I think it was PubMed and various other search engines to look at the different papers around this topic and I had certain search terms um, which I probably need to refresh my memory through looking through my dissertation project at, but it was essentially looking at what the process was for doctors in difficulty and particularly how they're identified um, and what the management strategies are. Um, and it was quite interesting because there has been quite a lot of work around why it's important. So obviously, from a safety perspective, we know that it's important, but also in terms of supporting people and retaining them in the profession and recognising that difficulty can be dynamic. So, for example, if someone's recently had a bereavement, they might experience difficulty because of what's going on in their life in that particular time, but they may not experience difficulty throughout their whole career, whereas other people may experience difficulty throughout their whole career. So it's about kind of looking at those sort of different reasons why people might experience difficulty, identifying it and sort of feeling comfortable identifying it from a supervisor perspective, and then looking at how to manage it. So for me, it was then extracting that information and looking at how it would apply to a PA, given that, as I say, we don't have educational supervisors. So I'd like to think that having done a bit of groundwork and I suppose having had some experience of this through kind of working with PAs experiencing difficulty, but also seeing it um, in PAs and other practices, hopefully what I've put together, I'd like to think would be of use to people. But I do think that there needs to be some time um, and resources dedicated to this now with a view to taking this on a bit further. Now everybody who works in the NHS at the moment will undoubtedly say that things are tough. We all know that it's constantly on the news and in the papers about the difficulty that the NHS is under for a variety of reasons in terms of under-resourced and staffing and pay is in the news a lot with the strikes nursing strikes, doctor strikes, consultants. And we know that patient demand is going up. People are very sick at the moment. The waiting lists are getting longer and longer. When you're confronted with that level of reporting about our work, it's no wonder that we all seem a bit 
despondent sometimes about working in the NHS and personally sometimes it feels like the goodwill that kept the NHS together five years ago is in short supply at the moment um, for good reasons. I suppose that's one of the reasons why people can get burnt out. Do you have other suggestions and causes as to why PAs can end up in difficulty? Absolutely. And I suppose it's important to make the distinction between general burnout and difficulty. So what I mean by difficulty is where it compromises your clinical, your ability to do your clinical job. And I suppose burnout is very much, I might be crying in my room because I feel really stressed about the state of the NHS or have my workplace, but I can still kind of clinically do my job. Um, and whilst both issues are important, I suppose it's the former really that I'm exploring. So kind of the people where it is more of a safety issue in terms of or kind of a borderline safety issue. So not necessarily fitness to practice, um, but just kind of a few yellow flags around performance. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think there are a few kind of origins of difficulty. Um, I think probably the role infancy. So I mentioned earlier about you know, supervisors don't necessarily know what a PA should be doing. And I think, again, thinking about primary care um, and the additional roles reimbursement scheme, there might be an element of, well, we can have a PA um, for no sort of added cost to ourselves through the additional roles reimbursement. Um, so we're going to get one, but we don't, they haven't necessarily thought it through, perhaps. And I would hope that that isn't the case, but I suspect that it may be for some people. Um, so I think that general infancy of the role um, is a key part of that. Um, I think it's really important that employees think through having a PA before just kind of, you know, going out to advert for one. Um, but I think as well, when you think about the expansion, um, certainly back in my day in 2013, there were probably maybe two, three hundred of us. And obviously there was this massive boom um, in the last few years when practically every higher education institution near you was running a PA course. And that's fantastic in terms of meeting workforce shortages and demands. But it then means that there's little longevity for supervisors and employers to then fully understand what a PA could and should be doing. Um, and I think probably the COVID pandemic, you know, some people may not have had exposure necessarily to certain things through the pandemic. Um, and that might also mean that there's a kind of clinical gaps or areas of weakness. Um, I think through role infancy as well, people may have kind of lacked exposure to qualified PAs, um, which is great in terms of kind of blue sky thinking and thinking, oh, how could we use a PA? But sometimes having a little bit of or knowing how a PA could work can sometimes be quite helpful as well at making sure you're doing justice to what you're thinking that your new PA could or should be doing. So I think those things in terms of general new role stuff is quite a key factor. Um, I guess thinking about lack of regulation that I mentioned earlier is also another thing. Um, and of course, these are things that are different from other more established roles. So lack of regulation as a PA, um, I would hope isn't really a barrier, but I guess in terms of managing this issue and this issue having floor space at a national level has kind of made it an issue where it's something that I'm seeing, but I don't feel is being nationally taken on. And I feel like this is something that I'm looking at because it's something that I'm personally interested in. Um, but it does worry me slightly how people manage in other regions when I know that I do see it on a semi-regular basis in this region. 
Um, obviously, with regulation, I really hope that this is this has given some room um, and explored further. I think thinking about um, personal and professional considerations to PAs, there's been literature around the additional roles, thinking as well about primary care. Um, and there was something around PAs particularly working in a PCN-type role where they might be shared across practices. If you've got that lack of belonging, um, you're not necessarily going to feel comfortable voicing your concerns to a supervisor. Um, or you may not necessarily even know who your supervisor is, or you might have more than one supervisor. So all of those things make it quite difficult to feel safe, um, which is then quite difficult to then, I suppose, feel supported to really do your job as well as you could be doing it. Um, there has also been other literature, so thinking about the literature around increased caring responsibilities for PA students in comparison to undergraduate medical students that was noted. Um, and thinking as well about the scrutiny that we face on social media, I mean, that's really difficult, isn't it, when you're faced with that scrutiny on a very regular basis. And certainly as a PA myself, feels very draining, particularly when you're at the receiving end of it. There was obviously the recent documentary on Operos Healthcare on BBC Panorama, where they talked about, they had the PAs talking about feeling like they lacked supervision and they felt as if they were treated like GPs. And then, if, of course, you've got the most recent faculty physician associate census data, um, which talks about 50% of PAs feeling like they work under excessive pressure. So I think when you put all of that together, there's no wonder that PAs may well experience difficulty. And I think thinking about other professions, this is why it concerns me so much that you have other professions that don't necessarily have the same issues that we do, yet this isn't really being looked at in PAs. And for anybody who is listening to this, who's a physician associate, and it might be sort of chiming with them thinking, actually, I might be having some difficulty, I might be struggling at the moment. What advice, what tips, what knowledge would you pass on? What would you say to that person? Yeah, I mean, so there's different signs of difficulty, some of which you may pick up on yourself, and that might be to some degree um, quantifiable things. So you're running late frequently. So again, thinking about primary care, people who particularly when they're newly qualified are leaving late on a regular basis, that's generally not a good sign. And there might be reasons for that within the practice, such as, you know, it's difficult and you're basically having to hang around to find a supervisor. Um, but there might be other kind of reasons for that. So you might just generally feel like you're slower to do things. Um, you might have, for example, reasons for that, such as undiagnosed learning difficulties, dyslexia. But essentially, yeah, it's these kind of signs where you're maybe not functioning kind of at, at the same level as your peers. There might be other signs in terms of kind of complaints. So you might be receiving lots of complaints from patients, staff. Um, you might find that your debriefs are creating lots of extra work, which, again, might not be a sign that you're in difficulty. It might be a sign that your supervisor is one of those people that just wants things done a certain way. Um, and you kind of have to go along with that. And I suppose that's the difficulty and the nature of our role. Um, but these are some of the signs that essentially is kind of identified in the doctor world that probably does translate to the PA world. There's been some interesting work done by a Professor Pace. Um, who talks about seven signs of difficulty. So I'd recommend that people have a look at that as well, um, which is also just a helpful way of kind of thinking about from a supervisor perspective, whether this is something that you might be experiencing. 
And are there ways that you think PEAs might be able to spot it in their colleagues, medical colleagues, other PA colleagues? In regards to Professor Pace's work on seven signs, so her background was that I think she was, I can't remember her exact right, but fairly high up in a deanery. And she released this literature based on her experience of, I think, secondary care junior doctors going through the process of um, their foundation years, essentially, and people that were not able to successfully go through their foundation years or people that needed extra time. So she described seven key early warning signs. So these were the disappearing act. And that was, you know, for example, people who don't answer your bleep. Um, but thinking about in the PA world, that might be people who are frequently sort of absent or frequently late. So definitely, you know, something that transfers. She talks about low productivity. Um, so that's kind of if you're working at a slower rate than your peers. But obviously, we have to bear in mind that there are a number of reasons that that can happen. So thinking about health difficulties and neurodiversity. And that's why I think it's really key to explore that when the supervisor meets with the PA. Third sign was ward rage, so thinking about bursts of temper um, or people just generally sort of perhaps being quite grumpy um, or pessimistic when you speak with them. So as you say, the NHS climate can be as difficult at the moment for everyone, and that might mean that we're not all rays of sunshine. But again, there's certainly a, a difference between being quite neutral in your demeanour versus constantly seeming perhaps depressed or very angry, particularly with colleagues and patients. Um, her fourth sign was rigidity. And so bearing in mind that kind of medical workload is um, we're dealing with complexity and we're dealing with particularly in primary care, lots of uncertainty. These might be a cohort of people that basically can't tolerate the ambiguity. Um, so they're quite sort of black and white. And again, thinking about neurodiversity, there might be reasons behind that, such as undiagnosed autism. And again, worth exploring that further at the meeting. Her fifth one was bypass syndrome. So this is when people kind of bypass the person and it might be a junior colleague um, suggests kind of a way around seeking advice from that person. So, oh, yes, I know that that person's on duty, but I feel like they're struggling. So actually, I'm going to ask someone else instead. And again, if that happens, I suppose this is why things like multi-source feedback can be quite helpful in terms of maybe picking that up and um, because it might be certain clinicians or certain people that are in certain roles that are going to see that or be doing that more often than perhaps PAs and PA colleagues themselves. Um, her sixth one was career problems. So in the medical world, that meant difficulty with exams. But obviously in the PA world, when you're qualified, you're generally only sitting exams if you want to now that we're no longer doing our recertification exam every six years. Um, so that might mean, for example, um, just difficulty perhaps progressing. Um, and I use that term loosely because, again, progression is a bit of a contentious issue in the PA world when we're thinking about clinical posts. But I suppose it's really, you know, when people are moving around from one job to another fairly frequently without sort of a valid reason, such as a change in location, and again, fair enough, when you're discussing that with that person, it could be that they just fancy to change into a different job. But I suppose if you've got someone maybe moving around a few times a year, um, that might suggest that they may be either having difficulty in adapting to their place of work for whatever reason, or it may even be that the setup and the environment isn't appropriate um, or comfortable for that PA. So it's not necessarily an issue with the PA. 
But I suppose thinking about a PA that moves around in their jobs um, quite a lot, um, it may just be something to kind of think about if that's kind of their history and they, and you're looking to employ them, for example. I guess just thinking about what their career history is like. Um, and then the seventh sign itself was insight failure. And I think insight is really important, particularly when you're meeting with them, because obviously if they lack insight into there being an issue with kind of their clinical performance, the meeting is going to go very differently and you need to start at a very different level if you're leading that meeting. Um, so then hopefully having insight makes the meeting a bit easier because then you can start to explore why they might be having difficulty and then move quite quickly into hopefully both exploring strategies together to manage difficulty. Whereas if they lack insight to begin with, you're going to have to start at a very different level in terms of explaining why you think they might have difficulty um, and then sort of going from there, really. Tearfulness is probably one that I've noted in the sense of people have described sort of feeling um, anticipatory dread before they're entering clinic, feeling quite tearful in their room frequently, um, not feeling able to talk to people about what's going on at work. Um, it's the kind of general signs that people are experiencing kind of emotional difficulty, I suppose, as well as those more kind of quantitative things like the leaving, leaving late. And then I suppose the flip side or the, the next question on to that then becomes if you think you're in having difficulty, if you think one of your colleagues is having difficulty, what should you do to help? How, what are the, what are the things that you found can be most supportive for those PAs in difficulty, whether that's from a PA peer or whether that's from more, you know, a formal relationship as a senior GP or a senior consultant who spots a PA in difficulty? So I'd say a lot of the literature from the doctor world does align to what you should do in terms of a PA and difficulty. Um, so thinking about what the specific issue is, and again, I suppose if it's a supervisor that notes that it might be difficult thinking about how to address it as a PA colleague. Um, but I suppose if you're a PA colleague and you think that you've got a colleague in difficulty, probably raising it with a supervisor is going to be helpful the supervisor to then reflect on what the problem might be. So is it, for example, them? Is there a specific issue in terms of does the PA, for example, lack clinical knowledge into a certain thing that they're seeing? Is there a mismatch between what's expected of the PA and perhaps the level that they're expected to work at? So, for example, if you're a newly qualified PA and you're expected to manage loads of complex things, that probably isn't necessarily going to be appropriate and it's probably going to feel quite overwhelming for the PA. Um, so thinking about the appropriateness of the workload allocated to the PA, there might be simple logistical things like the PA not being able to access equipment, IT, supervision, and that in itself might lead to them feeling overwhelmed as well as running late. Um, but I think the supervisor is thinking about all of these things and then arranging a timely meeting. And I suppose what I mean by that is ensuring that a meeting happens at the right time, and um, so not kind of Friday mid-clinic, but probably at the end of the clinic on a Friday afternoon. Um, and you've got the key people present, so perhaps clinical supervisor, practice manager and PA. And um, again, thinking about primary care setting um, and you kind of, you know, go through the meeting. So does the PA have any insight into what's going on? Um, documenting and exploring further what is going on for the PA, sharing feedback and sharing the concerns and making that really clear. I think sometimes it's quite difficult for us to give 
con- well constructive slash negative feedback because you can kind of feel mean or whatever um, or if you feel that you don't understand the PA role it can sometimes feel difficult to do that and I think probably ahead of the meeting um, if the supervisor has any concerns about their own understanding of what the PA should be doing they probably need to reach out to either colleagues, PA ambassadors, PA leads, whoever in the interim to anyone else taking this on at the moment um, but certainly exploring with the PA further what's going on in their life, what's their support network like, um, and just generally kind of sharing the feedback that's been given and looking at, you know, what's happening basically in the PA's life that could be exploring that. Are there clinical issues? Are there personal issues? Um, and obviously being really sensitive around that and listening to their perspective without assumption. Um and I suppose being quite objective when you're inquiring, so not being defensive, but I think appreciating that particularly through the pandemic as well, when people were training, they may well have lacked clinical exposure to certain areas, which may have left them having clinical areas of weakness. Thinking as well about things like neurodiversity, which we know are common but not very well diagnosed, particularly also in the doctor world, um, it might be helpful depending on the area of difficulty or what it is that's been identified, looking at screening for whether that would be an issue a bit further. But I think above all, making sure that within that meeting um, you have ascertained kind of support network, coping mechanisms, and that the, the meeting kind of feels constructive instructed sorry um documented so that that plan can then be shared with the PA for reflection afterwards um, and you look at really kind of any tools to support them further and needless to say at this stage if you do think that it's a fitness to practice issue that in itself needs to be escalated to the faculty physician associates I think it's unfortunate that it's not really being led at the moment by anyone in particular. Certainly, as a representative of South Yorkshire, I'm really happy for people to get in touch with me. And I've shared it, other things I've spoken at that I'm happy for that support to go beyond South Yorkshire. Um, so on our website, we have released a little bit of information, um, which I hope is of help to people. So really happy for people to be signposted to the website. Almost like we don't need to reinvent the wheel because we know inevitably what's going to cause difficulty for PAs. We need to be smarter about getting ahead of it and maybe helping our own profession and others. There is a point around, I think there's an organisation called Civility Saves Lives, which goes into NHS organisations and talks about the way that people interact with other people and the way we speak to each other, the words we use, the tone whether we make slightly gossipy, bitchy comments behind each other's backs, how that can tear teams apart and how that has an impact on our patient care. Because if we're thinking about the gossip or we're thinking about the way we were spoken to, we're not focused on the patient in front of us and how that can have an impact on patient safety as well. And I think the same is true for social media. If we're upset as a profession, if we see negative comments and and attacks being made against individuals in our profession on social media, I think that can have a direct impact on patient safety and patient care if if we let it uh, affect us quite what the answer is to that i'm not sure brilliant thank you ria i think this is a really really important topic and i'm glad we've covered it in the podcast today and i'm really super glad that you're looking into this on behalf of the pas in our profession what do you think might be the best next steps if people have got questions or if they're sort of interested in 
finding out more about the work you've done, where would you point them to go to get more involved? Um, come to me. So I'm really happy to share the work that I've done. I'm really happy to pass on the connections that I'm building through the work that I'm doing with other organisations. Even though it's really early stages, I'm really um, keen to bring people with me on that journey because I think the more of us that are talking about it and the more of us that are aware of it, hopefully the bigger impact we can all have. Um, and I think, as you say, the climate that we work in um, we're going to increasingly see things like mental health difficulties and burnout. And it's important that we all have support for ourselves as well, um, which is why within our local faculty, we're also really keen to offer this mentorship offer so that people do feel able to reach out um, and talk about the difficulties that they feel that they're having. Brilliant. Thank you, Ria. I'll leave your contact details in the show notes so that people can look on their device and find out how to get in touch with you to find out more on their device. Thanks so much for joining me. Cheers, James. I'm sure you'll be back for another episode of the podcast in the future. Hope so. Thank you. (laughs) And thanks to you for listening as well. I hope that that's been a really useful discussion about physician associates in difficulty and hopefully given you a few of the signs to watch out for and some of the practical steps that you can take if you're worried about yourself or a colleague um, who might be in difficulty. Thanks for listening. If you've got any ideas for future episodes of the PA Podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to me. I'm on social media at PA Podcast UK, and I hope you'll join me again for the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Physician Associate Podcast. 